morning. Thanks for being here. Instead of spending the morning in your refrigerator, your, your freezer. We just had a beginner's mind uh, retreat, which is a, a weekend where we do a whole bunch of meditation and just get the, the general download of what it is to do Zen practice in this setting. And for those of you who are joining us, a good 30 people in this room were involved in that. And so this is the, like the wrap-up talk on that. And I often um, really struggle about what to say, what's worth talking about. And so I asked Kisei, and she said, why don't you talk about the fruits of practice? Um, and I have some hesitancy in talking about the fruits of practice because it could kind of kick in our consumer mind. Like, OK, I put in X amount of work. I have X amount of currency. What am I going to buy? What do I get? And in a way, that, that what am I going to get mind is exactly the central problem in our lives. What am I going to get out of this rather than living for life itself? But anyways, I'm going to try to try to address what she, she mentioned. Um, um, the Buddha um, had a saying, uh, the Dharma is good in the beginning, it's good in the middle, and it's good in the end. Meaning there's benefit when you're a beginner, there's benefit when you're not a beginner, and there's benefit when you're an old dog, and you've done it for years and years and decades and decades. And what we're doing in this practice is we're, we're liberating our life from internal bondage. We may or may not be able to make external changes in our life that give us a sense of, of freedom, more safety, more good stuff. But through this practice, we can have a, a complete revolution of the internal climate. So I'll use uh, Dogen Zenji's famous uh, lines from the Genjo Koan. So Dogen Zenji is a very important teacher in our lineage. And he has this really beautiful teaching. You could look it up pretty easy, called the Genjo Koan, which means something like um, the way of everyday life or the, the question that everyday life presents to you. And the basic question is, how do I be free? Or I've been thinking of it, uh, why am I not free? What, what, what is it that keeps me from having a sense of inner freedom? So these, these lines are from the Genjo Koan. Uh, Dogen Zenji said, uh, to study Buddhism is to study oneself. Another translation, study Buddhism is to study the self. Then he said, uh, to study oneself is to forget oneself. To forget oneself is to be actualized by myriad dharmas, myriad things. Sometimes it's said, uh, to forget oneself is to be enlightened by the 10,000 dharmas, meaning everything. To be enlightened by the 10,000 dharmas, to be actualized by the myriad things, is to free one's body-mind and the body-mind of others. No trace of this forgetting remains, and this traceless forgetting continues endlessly." It's quite beautiful. So I'll just, I'd like to just go through each line and, and make some comments. So to study uh, Buddhism is to study the self. So with this aspect of practice, what we're talking about is illuminating 
our mind. Bringing light to our mind. The, the primary place where we dwell is not Portland, not the United States of America, not even planet Earth. The primary place where we dwell is our mind. That, that's the atmosphere that we, we breathe, mostly. And so we're illuminating this mind, and we're coming to understand this mind. And in a way, this teaching is pointed to, let's cut to the chase. Where are you most empowered to develop well-being? Where is your energy most efficacious in becoming liberated? It's looking at your own mind. And so um, in Zen, looking into ourselves is girded by that observation. That at least where we start is our own mind, looking at the causes of suffering, looking at the uh, fixed beliefs, the concepts, the ideas, the identities that are like invisible but very difficult to break out of bars, the mind prisons. So we, we light up the domain of our own hearts. And this is, in a way, what Zazen is. You're lighting up the domain of your heart, maybe in a way that you've never done before. Maybe you know, you understand yourself to some degree, but you've never stayed put and paid attention long enough to see exactly and precisely all the different ways that your mind moves, its habits, its beliefs, its storylines, its identities. Maybe there's resentments from 20 years ago that are still floating through your consciousness to this day. Did you know that? Did you know that that's still closing your heart? So when we, when we do this kind of work, we see lovely qualities, but we also see all the, the difficult stuff. We see the uh, thought prisons. We see the belief prisons. And a fruit of this work is, as practice evolves, we take more and more responsibility for our state of mind. You take more and more responsibility for your state of mind. This is not a dismissal of external injustice in any way. But, but, where can I be free? So we take more and more uh, responsibility for our state of mind, and this is sobering. It's sobering and it's clarifying because we know where our work is, and we see that the mind is quite trainable. The Buddha, uh, after cultivating his mind for a while, said, the mind, I've made it malleable. I've made it flexible. In a way, the mind is always malleable and flexible. That's why it's jumping from thing to thing. It's not fixed. It's really fluid. The mind is like consciousness water. It flows into whatever shape comes before it. And it's slippery. You can't quite, can't, you try to grasp it and it, you lose it, but you can create a container to uh, let it come to rest. So the mind is uh, trainable, and so positive habits can be cultivated. That's certainly a part of, of uh, Buddhist practice. We study the self, we see the habits that really aren't serving us, we can cultivate ones that do. And so it's an, ad an attitudinal training. We starve the habits that are not helpful from attention. We know they're there, we let them arise, but we don't feed them. There's a, there's a way in which 
we withdraw the nutrient, the nutrients that keep, let's say, my resentment going, the nutrients that keep my anxiety going. I see what those nutrients are. Nutrients is not quite the right word, is it? But something feeds them, and you start to withdraw that. You cut off that supply, and slowly over time it withers. So imagine all the energy you could reclaim if you reduce the amounts of thoughts about how our children, your children, your parents, your coworkers and friends could be different, should be different. If you took all of that energy and put that energy into being the person that you want to be, imagine how much energy would be freed up. This is part of um, the responsibility we're looking at with the Dharma. And so even seeing the, the so-called uh, bad stuff about ourselves uh, starts to become rewarding. I talked about the three poisons as a framework to, to nest your meditation in. So I say, Zazen, or this practice is about becoming free internally. Well, what does that mean? That means uh, non-aversion, non-attachment. It means non-ignorance. The three poisons being grasping, and hatred, and going unconscious. And so we see that stuff, and, and we're becoming honest as we see it. We're becoming more uh, accurately aligned with the way our mind is. And actually, we become very um, humbled. You can't really meditate for a long time and like hold on to your pride, at least not for too long. Maybe eventually it has to go because you, in studying the human heart, you know that yours is the same as everyone else's. You contain the same seeds. And so there's the great leveling. The great, the great, the great leveling. So studying the self. And now he's going through this as, in a way like as if they're stages, but it's not like you graduate from studying the self. I'm not, I've done this practice for a long time. I'm not done studying the self. I'm actually surprised at all the time about what an idiot I am at times, or how arrogant I can be. Or, oh, I never noticed I had this fixed belief that I had to be a certain way in a certain situation. Isn't that interesting? All these years, that's been operating. Sort of like another teacher talks about, there's minimized windows that we don't see on our operating system, and they're running. They're taking CPU power, but you just don't know because they're just. So studying the self. Now next, Dogen says, to study oneself is to forget oneself. To study oneself is to forget oneself. Now we aren't the center of the universe. That's probably not news. We often think we're the center of the universe. We act as if we're the center of the universe, but we're not the center of the universe. But it's also true if we let go of being the center of the universe enough, we realize, oh, I'm the center of the universe. It's a kind of un unbidden gift, and I'll talk a little bit about what that means. We, we realize we're always at the heart of the universe. There is, there is no other moment, and that moment is yours. You're smack dab in the middle of the, the edgeless expanse of life. And you're seeing through your eyes and hearing through your ears, and that is a fresh, unique, uh, completely intimate perception. Nobody else has the experience you're having, and nobody else can. Unrepeatable. 
unrepeatable grace. So during this weekend, we mostly emphasized uh, the work of studying oneself. So we could say it was steadying oneself, coming into a quality of presence, slowing down, bringing the mind into the body, lighting up the domain of the mind. And then we were studying oneself, seeing, learning about ourselves just from that observation. But there's also a time that comes in your zazen, and my, my wish is that you continue until this starts to open up for you, where there's just a thorough release. A thorough release. There's a thorough surrender of opposition to what is. Can you connect with that phrase, opposition to what is? It's like one, one good definition of um, suffering. Is that you have your moment, whatever your moment is, and there's some way in which you're grading against it. You have some belief that you shouldn't be experiencing it, or you don't want it, or you're longing for a different experience, and we've mistaken happiness. Happiness is, is the absence of that longing for things to be different, not the object of our imagination. Did I communicate that clearly? That's the place that we, we get duped. It's not the presence of the thing you think you don't like, it's the presence of the thought that you don't like it that is in the way of you being uh, deeply at ease and satisfied. So at some point, there's a, th- a, a thorough surrender of that opposition that comes through wholeheartedly entering this, this dharma of zazen, being upright, intimate, committing to experiencing oneself uh, nakedly. There's a thorough dropping of me versus the world that whole idea of being in opposition to circumstances, at least for a time, abated. The great Master Sheng Yen uh, talked about the cycle of meditation as having basically three, uh, three points. And the first is quiet mind, not a thoughtless mind. Some people want to like do an internal lobotomy when they do zazen. They want to have no thoughts quiet mind. It's more like um, letting, letting thoughts move through. It's a relationship to your thoughts rather than an absence. So quiet mind and then unified mind because as the mind quiets and as that which says I'm here and everything else is out there and I don't want it or I want it, as that diminishes we come into uh, an alignment with things that is a quite healing. Everything we thought was so far away and everything we felt was so separate, we realized just was, was simply never was. That there was this um, habit of loneliness making that found its way into our perceptual apparatus. There's this habit of alienation and we expose that. It falls away, at least temporarily. So unified mind, sometimes we call this oneness. And then you go beyond that too, where it's just open. Just spacious, available, no center. And that's great peace. And that's available to all of us. And it's not a matter of I'm going to get that state and I'm going to live there and then nothing bad's going to happen. It's a matter of tasting it. You taste it. And you know it's true and then you will be inevitably compelled and called to return 
to that quality of openness because, as Roshi said earlier, you recognize that as yourself. So if you allow it and you create the conditions and you don't shirk from it, Zazen will organically bloom beyond you. You think you're doing meditation, but really meditation is doing you. And you can let it do you beyond yourself. So Dogen's uh, next line, he said, to forget the self, and we'll rewind just a bit, this forgetting yourself is not, is not some mystical experience that's necessarily going to whap you over the head. You know this experience, because at times you've been absorbed in things so fully that there's just that thing. You've ever been absorbed so fully in somebody else that there was just them been absorbed so fully that your pain, your discomfort wasn't such a big deal, but the, what you were attending to came to life and filled your awareness. It's a little taste of, of forgetting yourself. So Dogen's next line is, in a way, um, an elaboration of that. To forget the self is to be actualized by the myriad things. To forget yourself is to have um, a, a blessed expansion of identity. Because Habitually, we think everything that's me is within this skin bag. It's everything I identify as myself, my gender, my height, my race, my religion, everything that's happened to me. And that's true. And yet. And yet. To forget the self is to be actualized by the myriad things. Everything shows us what we are. Right now, everything is showing you what you are. You may or may not recognize that, but wherever you look, whatever you hear, what you are is being revealed. What would this moment be right now if you had no resistance? If you had no opposition? If the sense of I was larger than your body, but included everyone around you, all things? What would this moment be if you had no longing for something else? Are you totally sure that washing the dishes is not what it's like in heaven? And if you're sure, how did you arrive at that certainty? So to be actualized by the myriad things, um, life can teach and surprise and delight us if we're receptive. People can continually surprise us. Now, our narratives and thoughts. Now, people is the place where, for most of us, we're most uh, triggered and our delusion is most alive. We're social creatures and we suffer the most in our social uh, life. And you might notice through your practice that often you have a thought or a judgment or a belief about somebody and that you've actually stopped relating to that person, but you've began relating to that thought, to that belief, to that judgment. It's become a stand-in for the actual person. It's like there's a cardboard cutout that you see. You no, you no longer actually encounter them anymore because the idea springs up so quickly for you that that's what you relate to. You can't get past it. But people, places, things, it's all included, are nothing but nuance. 
they're nothing but nuance. To feel that we know somebody at some level is a kind of violence. It's a violence to ourselves and it's a violence to them. If we relate to mental concepts about people, places, and things, and that's what we get. And that's what we relate to. A friend of mine uh, talked about when she's in uh, openness mind. She said, when I'm in openness mind, I go to uh, the grocery store, and I feel like there are Zen masters everywhere. We can be, we can be um, surprised. We can, be a, we can both be astonished by how much we close ourselves off to, how much uh, joy and beauty and connection, but also um, what a wonder it is to actually move through our life and don't know mind. So practicing Zazen is a commitment to intimacy. It's a commitment to, to releasing the concluded mind. And sometimes when I'm in an intimate conversation with somebody, I forget who I am. I forget who is who but I'm not confused. More often I'm sitting in meditation and this, this is not merely my robe, but my robe, I'm clothed by the bird song and the morning breeze and the sound of traffic and everybody else. We spill beyond our skin. So Dogen's uh, last lines, well actually the last two lines, I committed to doing a half an hour talk, and I might actually succeed with it, so I'm going to stick to my guns. Dogen's last two lines are, to be actualized by the myriad things, or another translation, to be enlightened by the myriad things, is to free one's body and mind, and the body and mind of others. To be actualized by the myriad things is to free one's body and mind, and the body and mind of others. No trace of enlightenment remains. No trace of the forgotten self remains. Yet this no trace continues endlessly. So there's a way in which uh, Zen is totally not mystical and otherworldly. It's not some remote, misty, mysterious experience. When I'm under the spell of the three poisons, when grasping and I don't like it and unconsciousness has really got my mind, then uh, my energy does not flow freely. My body is tense. My heart is constricted. It's just like, it's like math. It's like a law. When those things have gotten a hold of my mind, that's what I will experience. Now, some of you I know work in situations or have family situations or occupy uh, intersections that are really trying in society. How much can we relax into those situations? Even in the times of your life that you feel like, I am stressed when XYZ, is that really a concrete way of being or could you let go? Could you come to a deeper acceptance? Not a approval, but a deeper acceptance. I've been looking to the belief that anxiety is helpful, or anxiety is necessary. So uh, when, I, when I look into the quality of anxiety, and often I have absolutely no reason to be anxious, and I look into why am I anxious, there's some thought in my mind that if 
I'm anxious, it will help me kind of give me the energy to do what I need to do. And as soon as I start to look at that belief about thinking actually that anxiety is helpful, I'm able to, to let it go. I'm able to release. And I'm encouraged by that because the less anxious I am, the more other people around me can relax into themselves. I free my body and mind, and I begin to free the body and mind of others. Maybe it's not mystical, but it's pheromonal. You know? You know it when you walk into a room where there's just an argument, even if it's silent. You, f- you feel that. And so people come into the zendo, or you come into the monastery, and you feel what happens when we work on freeing our body and mind. There's, there's an ambiance. be actualized by the myriad things is to free one's body and mind and the body and mind of others. And there's a deeper uh, meaning to these lines that I, that I offer to you to investigate. That life's beauty and depth and richness and mystery is or isn't experienced to whatever degree our heart-mind is free of the three poisons. You, know, you are the field within which life is happening. It's happening through you, in you. It can't happen anywhere else. Dogen Zenji uh, elsewhere, then the Genjo Koan said, mountains belong to those who love them. We could say this, this practice of Zen is a practice of, of falling in love with life. Practice of belonging, practice of intimacy, the intimacy of true perception. And that encompasses everything. It's true whether we practice it or not, but practice uh, makes this real, makes this verified in our experience. So please continue. <laughs>